Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me I've got Kevin Morgan. How you doing, Kevin? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your department. Uh, so I work for the city of Savannah and here in Georgia on the coast. Uh, I've been with Savannah for 10 years, uh, currently hold the rank of engineer uh, as of, I guess, about three years now. Uh, I started in Florida as a volunteer with actually with Pasco County Fire and um, uh, just with the recession and all the hard times we I knew I was going to have to venture out to find a job and so somehow I landed here in Savannah it's been pretty good. Nice so tell us about your department for those that don't know. Uh, so we're 15 stations 15 engines five trucks two rescues uh, what most would call a heavy rescue there are our technical rescue uh, apparatus. Uh, we don't run EMS calls, uh, so we hover around about 9,000 calls a year, give or take. Um, I would say we're pretty aggressive uh, for the most part when we can be. And um, I mean, it's, yeah. A lot of jealous people out there when you said you didn't run EMS calls, I'm sure. What do you guys get yeah. on a residential structure fire, box alarm or whatever? So uh, for a residential, it's going to be three engines, a ladder, a rescue, a battalion chief, uh, a safety officer who's an independent in a pickup truck, uh, independent safety officer, and our hazmat two uh, person who's ordinarily is our hazmat coordinator, but also doubles as command aid and helps the IC manage the scene with the accountability board and uh, conducts the PAR checks and kind of just gives that little extra assistance. Cool. Let, uh, let us know how you guys are getting searches done. Is it, do you guys go on pre-incident arrival assignments or is it IC driven? Uh, who's doing the search and how are you guys doing the search? Oriented, VES, split? Uh, well, our our policy for the fire ground is um, pretty well written so that we all have our assignments um, as far as the engine work goes. Typically, the rescues handle the primary while the truck will vent, and then when the truck comes off the vent, they'll come back for the secondary. Um, and, and it's situation dependent because we only do have the two rescues. Uh, we've absolutely assigned trucks first in on primary. Uh, I've seen trucks get split. Uh, to kind of handle both depending on the size of the, uh, the structure involved. Uh, but the engines, as we're operating, are obviously listening and looking and if we find somebody or something, we're going we're gonna to handle it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, take us back to December 15th, 2019 and tell us about your run. Yeah, so uh, my captain uh, was out on vacation and the way we operate is our all of our backseat firefighters can operate the apparatus as an acting engineer. Uh, they're supposed to have that within, I think, three years of hire now. And obviously, with the engineers, we will step up and act as an officer for, you know, the absence of our captain or uh, and so on. So this was actually the last shift of my captain's two week vacation. So he was about to come back and we got a call. Uh, December 15th, that, I think the first call came into our dispatch center around 6.03. 
uh, I was riding in charge. My senior firefighter was behind the wheel and we had our two backseat firefighters uh, in their respective positions in the back. Uh, came in uh, to a street that's two blocks from our station. It was actually really, really close. Uh, we, we turned out in less than a minute. So our tones dropped at 6.06. .06. Uh, we, we turned out at 6.07. I was actually just less than a minute. Um, once my my senior guy pulled the truck out, he looked left. He, he told me he could see the column, uh, so we knew we had something going on. And then we got maybe a couple hundred yards from the firehouse, and we were updated by dispatch that there was potentially somebody in trap. So I yelled back and let my crew know, hey, we're, we're working on a, on a call that's got somebody inside. And um, we were in our reserve apparatus. So we were operating at it with 700 gallons. There's an old uh, Spartan Metro Star. And we got there, I want to say it was 58 seconds, the response time from, from going responding to getting on scene. Uh, we pulled up on a one story uh, block home. Uh, this neighborhood's mostly built in the 50s uh, and 60s. So a lot of small one, uh, one story block homes. Uh, we had a really, really large volume of fire uh, on the front half. And it came in as fully involved from dispatch, which we all know it's subjective, um, but nonetheless, that's what we knew coming in. So we knew we had pretty much a heavily, heavily involved fire, and we knew that somebody was probably going to be inside. Uh, so we, we encountered some problems getting to this call because for mostly for placement, because the fire started in the front of the home in a family room, and it, it, the heat ended up breaking through the front window and the window was pretty big. It was about a four, a four by three, maybe even a five by three uh, single pane window. And when that let go, it obviously had a lot of, a lot of air and um, it burnt through the weather head right above it on the Alpha Bravo corner. And the power line kind of came catty corner across towards the Delta side of the house. And when it laid across, it laid across the yard from, from left to right. And we were trying to pull past, but the police department had blocked the street. So uh, once we pulled our air brake, we were basically, our, our rear tires were on the power line. Um, so all that being said, it kind of set us back just a little bit getting set up to start operating. So we came off the truck and we were met with a large group of people who were actually saying there was two people entrapped in the house. Uh, so I went ahead and radioed that in, um, that we were going to start. Uh, we're, I told them actually getting on scene, we we're going to pull on and start searching. Um, so our plan was we had a very large volume of fire in the front of the house and the front door it looked like it burned off the hinges i uh, had my firefighter pull the line and set it for the front and i was going to perform a 360 just because i needed to see exactly how much of this house was involved and i took my uh, rookie firefighter with me uh, just in the event that we found uh, what we thought we were going to find and we found searchable spaces and when i came to the back of the structure we actually found an a gentleman back there who was in the home who had come out before uh you know it got to the, the level where it was at and i you know came up and said what you got he says he's right there like, okay well here's we're going in um so i had my firefighter in the front just knocking it down uh engine three and rescue one are really really close to us so i knew they were going to be on our heels uh, i had no doubts that they would be on the line getting a getting a knockdown interior uh, relatively quick so I, I called in and told him we were going to start. I, I called in and I told my chief it was going to be a VES 
um, only because it's not really written into our policy. It's something most of us know about, but it's not really uh, a practice. It's not written into our kind of our, you know, our guidelines. Um, some people practice it, some don't. Um, it's gaining traction, which is great. And I, we've actually had a couple of, you know, DES grabs, which were successful. Um, but I wanted to paint the picture that we were going to be operating on the backside of this fire without, without protection. So we entered through the back door and we entered what I guess you could consider back in the day was probably the dining room. Um, these houses are very, very small uh, and we were met with a pretty substantial amount of clutter. And again, the, it's not so much that these are hoarders, it's just that uh, they don't really have a lot of place to put their belongings. And so this dining room is, has got two refrigerators, it's got the laundry, it's basically a storage shed as well. So. Uh, we stuck together because we were met with smoke to the floor. Uh, I had my pig tool and a tick. My firefighter had the irons. And um, when we entered, uh, smoke to the floor, we had, and uh, we started going left towards the, towards, if you look at the house, it's basically split uh, door dead center. On the right side, you have most of the bedrooms. On the left side, you have family room, uh, one extra bedroom, and then the kitchen. And then that room we entered, um, the storage room, so to speak, you know, family room slash uh, refrigerator room and laundry room. So like I said, we had we had smoke to the floor. It wasn't quite hot uh, at that point in the rear, um, but the smoke was to the floor. My tick was useless. Uh, I, had, I had my old ISG thermal imager and my, my pig tool and uh, the thermal imager just wasn't, I just couldn't even see the screen. So we started left on that Charlie wall going towards the Delta wall. Uh, and we encountered a door, which which was ended up being to a bedroom, but we thought it was a pantry because it would only open about a foot. And my my firefighter reached in there and tried to feel, and he felt what he thought was shelving, but it was apparently it was like a nightstand or something that was completely blocking the door. And we later found that that bedroom wasn't even used. It was just if you went in there, you'd see the bed, and on top of the bed was a recliner, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But uh, so we passed that door and stayed in the room that we intended to search in the first place. And we were just met with so much clutter. Uh, all their just all their belongings in one room is basically the only way I can describe it. So I, I wouldn't call it hoarding, but just a lot of stuff. And we were really getting nowhere um, with all these obstacles. So I told him we turned around. I told him to follow me, and um, we kind of traced our steps back to the, where we entered, and then came up the Bravo wall, going towards the front of the structure, and. Um, as we were crawling, I was about to key up and kind of give a can for the chief coming in and uh, let him know what's going on. And then right before I keyed up, uh, I heard a groan. So we heard uh, just a loud single groan as we were kind of calling out and making noise in, the, in there. And so, you know, right at that point, I was, I was going to key up anyways and give a can. So I, I keyed up, told the chief that uh, we can hear the victim. We're trying to locate him and that uh, as obviously as we were advancing towards the front, we're getting closer to that seat of that fire and it, the heat was really intensifying and that uh, I was calling them just to make sure they were getting that fire knocked down. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, once we passed that threshold from that back, um, I, I guess you could call it like a multi-purpose room uh, for the lack of a better word, uh, about three feet past the threshold into the kitchen, I found, I found the gentleman on his back uh, head first towards the rear. And uh, immediately radio, radioed in that um, we had found a victim. And um, just because we were 
pretty well into this house. It was a 51 foot long house. So we were a little more than halfway into the home uh, when we found this guy. And so I radioed in just to have a couple of firefighters enter the rear and kind of give us, make sure we had um, somebody giving us a, make sure we're coming out the right way, basically. I wanted to ensure that the direction we were going was the right direction uh, without any question. So uh, engine three and engine six came up and, and met us in the back. And, and by the time they came into the back where we had entered, we were almost to that, that threshold. So they helped us kind of get the guy out the rest of the way. And um, we, uh, we paused just for a few seconds because we were pretty smoked from it was it was pretty difficult to get him out of that house. It was really tight. And um and then we realized there wasn't an EMS uh crew back there with a the stretcher or anything and and not to their not to their their fault because if you look at the the layout of the home, uh it was fifty feet fifty one feet long, it was twenty six feet wide and, and they didn't have much property. So the fence line on the Bravo side you you had maybe a foot between the fence and the home. On the Charlie side, you had about two and a half feet. So you really didn't have a lot of room to even get by there in the first place. So ultimately myself and the engine three crew, which is a captain and firefighter, uh, carried him out. Just, I grabbed an arm, cap, other captain grabbed an arm, or, or the captain grabbed an arm and um, the firefighter grabbed the legs. We just ran to the front of the house as fast as we could, uh, passed them off the EMS. And then as that transition took place, um, the rescue had actually stacked up on the first line and went in and knocked down the most of the fire and found the second gentleman uh, who we later found was actually within a few feet of our gentleman uh, that we had found. Uh, so our, our patient was in his late sixties and the patient that rescue one had found was in his early seventies. Um, so when the rescue brought the second person out of the home, uh, the battalion chief told us we were going to be tasked with helping with EMS and start start care. So uh, my firefighter who was with me started um, airway and bagging, and I started compressions until the second EMS crew arrived and took over care. And then um, they they performed a few rounds and then ultimately called them on scene. Unfortunately, talk to me a little bit about how you guys got the victim out. Number one, uh, what was the size on the victim approximately? He was around 165 pounds, maybe 160 pounds. Um, he wasn't clothes. a big guy. Yeah. Do you have clothes on? Uh, just shirt and and his underwear. So how did you guys do that victim removal? Uh, so like I said, when I got to him, I found him uh, by the head. And ultimately, my firefighter was pretty close behind me. He went ahead and grabbed. It was kind of tough because, of course, we want to go feet first if we can. But the way this house was laid out and all the stuff we had to deal with to get out, we really didn't have any room. Uh, we were constantly knocking into stuff. We just didn't have a lot of room to make any adjustments. Uh, so he grabbed his, basically under his armpits and tried to cradle his head as best he could. And I put his leg, I put his leg over leg, kind of in like a, I guess you could say like a camella lock almost over my uh, left leg. And I kind of just heaved and he, his, my job basically was to push and his job was just to keep his head uh, from getting, you know, banged about you know through the through the process trying to just protect that upper body and when you called that that extra crew to come in they pretty much led you guys out is that is that what they uh yeah i mean ultimately my goal was just to make sure that uh i didn't want to find ourselves going the wrong way or, or take any chances so um and just to put it put things in perspective we had actually done a training burn 
uh, the day before, so during the daytime of our shift, because uh, this, this fire came in right before shift change. So during the day, we had done like a canned confidence course and we had the ceiling temperatures at, you know, over a thousand degrees. And um, obviously we felt that. And this house felt like that about two minutes into the search. Um, and I rated that in as well. Let them know it's like, you know, the heat's turning up here. We really need to, you know, we need to get this fire knocked down. Got to get this guy out of here. Um, Time factor, what was that? What was that like from arrival till victim out? Uh, so, yeah, that was one of the, the reasons we believe this didn't uh, work out uh, in our success, you know, successfully. We, um, we got on scene at uh, 608, and I don't think we actually got him out front until somewhere around 614. And ultimately, when the gentleman in the back who had come out of the home told us that he was right there, we really focused a lot of our attention on that, that first room we entered. Um, and then having, you know, put most of our focus on that room and then also dealing with the conditions of that room and the contents of the room, um, I feel like maybe that could have, you know, maybe that was a factor, maybe it wasn't, but um, just the way the gentleman described where he was at, I'm like, we're going to focus on this room and get this guy out. And um, we actually had multiple people up in the front of the structure when we first arrived telling us the same thing that he was in the back. You know, this was my first fire as an acting officer. Um, and I'd had, I've been at a busy house before I got promoted where we see, where we saw a lot of fires and we had entrapments. Uh, we, uh, this isn't the first time I've been on an, an entrapment fire. This is probably a, number five um but I, it's different when you you take that leap up to that seat and then you know we were kind of throwing the kitchen sink with apparatus placement the line down heavy fire uh the, the hydrant we thought was on the street was blocked by people and trash cans um, and all of those all those things that might might one one individual thing might be kind of small but when you kind of stack them on top of each other uh initially i was feeling pretty pretty bad about the outcome because i felt like you know, it was just, I guess it was really humbling to be, you know, to be a part of that scene and in the position I was in and make those calls. And of course, we always second guess ourselves and what we could do better, how we would do different and so on. Um, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, like I said, I have a really good senior firefighter in the back and he got us there real fast. He knew exactly where he was going. There was no question. Um, but we, we did the best we could with what we had and what we had going on. Um, Obviously, I would like to see the outcome, um, you know, more positive. But uh, this, this, like I said, this fire was pretty well advanced. It, it actually had started in the front family room. I, I believe they had ruled it to be an overloaded extension cord, and it was also under the couch and buried. And um, so when it when it started to burn, it, I think it took out that front window pretty fast. And so um, it just it got a lot of air pretty early on. And so we were really kind of up against a, a pretty decent, a decent fire kind of early on in the, in the call. Uh, Kevin, we um, definitely appreciate you sharing that, the story so far. Is there anything that you went over with your crew, lessons learned particularly in this one compared to your others that, that stick out? Uh, I would say just whether you're, whatever seat you're in, just plan, plan for the worst. Um, I feel like this is kind of like the, uh, the the promotional assessment type fire where they throw everything at you and 
we joke about it on the, on the floor about how they throw you all these curveballs, but ultimately that's, that can be reality. And, uh, you know, when people are depending on us to make decisions and, and work around those problems to get the job done, uh, we just, it's, it really drives home the importance of training, uh, combat readiness, uh, both mentally and physically and, um, uh, not getting lackadaisical in, in how we operate or just our mindset. And it's easy to do. So I understand how some people get that way. Um, but just staying on top of your game and just even at six o'clock in the morning when you're rubbing the, the crust out of your eyes, you know, and you have less than one minute to get there, um, you know, we got to get there and, and be ready to roll and, and try to make the best decisions we can as early as possible and, and make things better um, to hopefully have a, a, a successful outcome. I do love what you said that you announced you're doing VES, not from the standpoint you were actually doing VES, but you wanted them to know you were operating without the protection of a hose line. I thought that was a, a pretty veteran move to, to call that. Well, like, yeah, like I said, it's one of those things we don't, you don't really hear a lot on the radio. And so, um, and of course the battalion chief coming in, all he knows is that it's fully involved because that's what dispatch said. So, any anything I could say, with, especially if it's brief, to paint a picture of what's going on before they get there will help them kind of see, um, you know, see what they're working on when they get there and, and take over command. Well, Kevin, we appreciate you sharing the story with us. If you make a grab or assist, alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and take that short survey. This is information for us, by us, and updated real time. If you'd like to share your story of, of your grab on our podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or Nick Ladine. And uh, thanks for listening. All right, so you're moving through the structure, you go in the back door, you start off to your left, you're coming back around. Kind of tell us how you're moving through. Are you doing it oriented? Or are you, how are you trying to navigate through this structure?